Are you a healthcare organization struggling to achieve success? What if I told you that success not only depends on strategy, but also on the right mindset? At the Mindset Gap, their team of seasoned consultants understand the critical role mindset plays in achieving organizational excellence by empowering your workforce to think innovatively, embrace change, and adapt to new challenges. So imagine your workplace, one where your employees and patients thrive, where creativity and productivity go hand in hand, and where obstacles become opportunities. Don't let your organization fall into the mindset gap. Take the first step towards unlocking your potential today and email assist at themindsetgap.com with the referral code GENCAN20 to schedule a consultation. Welcome to the Healthcare Provider Happy Hour. This is a safe space where we invite healthcare providers to unapologetically be themselves after the working day. My name is Jennifer George, and each week I will connect you with guests and stories that will help transform your stress to success and fulfillment. Are you with me? Grab your drink of choice and let's chat. Hey everyone, welcome to the Healthcare Provider Happy Hour. I'm your host, Jennifer George, and I'm joining you today to chat with you a little bit more about burnout and moral injury. And really this um, episode is more of a reflection of the last couple of episodes that aired on the show. The first one was with Marcy Resendez, who is an RN and an author of her book, who describes her story of being diagnosed with PTSD and her healing through that and how she manages day-to-day being on the front lines. She's been a nurse for over 20 years and was recently diagnosed and recently returned back to work. And I found that so fascinating that after all of these years, this has happened to her. And I was very moved by her story. I highly recommend you check it out if you work in healthcare. Um, And I think most of you do if you listen to this podcast. But yeah, and then following that episode, I had a conversation with Dr. Joe Sherman, who's still practicing, at least at a part-time level, as a pediatrician and has been working as a pediatrician for 35 years, which is remarkable this day and age, and is also a coach to physicians and organizations to help kind of shift the culture toward wellness and well-being and build resilience and help providers find fulfillment. And one of the conversations that he and I had in the podcast, which it was a great conversation overall, one of the things I had asked him, I said, you know, we've been accumulating data on physician and healthcare provider burnout for many years, and yet it continues to rise. Why is that? And he had a great answer for it. And, you know, I I needed a little bit more, and I'm still trying to make sense of all of this. I do not have all of the answers. I just want to make that very clear, Um, but I'm learning and I think it's just something that if we can all try to learn together collectively as providers, um, hopefully we can improve the system for all of us, but we also need the support 
and other people to also uh, be open and willing to learn, such as leadership, executives, stakeholders, insurers. Everybody needs to be involved in improving and in eliminating burnout and moral injury for frontline workers, especially. So this um, article actually stemmed from that reason was the fact that rates are practically double compared to where they were at the beginning of 2000. Okay, so they reported that 27% of physicians in 2000 were burnt out. And now it's closer to 50% since the pandemic. And during the pandemic, um, Dr. Sherman, I know, said it was closer to 60%. I, I agree more with him. I think it's definitely more than 50% from what I've read um, over the last several months. And also just from what you constantly are bombarded by, you know, out there, just having conversations, but also what you see in the media as well, which I also know we have to take with a grain of salt. But yeah, so I was really drawn to this article because it's only a couple of pages you know, it's it's saying we need action and we need it now. And here are 10 ways that, you know, organizations can help make this a priority. Okay. So first and foremost, let's talk about moral injury and burnout. So burnout, as we know, typically burnout is more, they say it's more centered around the individual, essentially, when it compares to moral injury. And burnout really is the unmanageable stress response to occupational stressors and hazards that eventually leads to features such as emotional exhaustion, um, depersonalization, and a lack of professional efficacy, as well as cynicism. Okay, so oftentimes, it's, it's more related to a lack of engagement, um, whether it's with patients, with your with your staff, low, low morale, inefficiencies of, of processes, and basically how the individual responds to all of that. So things like resilience, self-care are, are areas to gain a little more control over those stressors. And I still don't entirely understand in terms of how separate they really are, but but many people, and it's generally agreed upon that they are very separate. But whenever I read about it, I find there's always a little bit of an overlap. And this this article does highlight the fact that there are that there is a high correlation between burnout and moral injury, and that there are overlapping constructs, which which kind of makes me feel a little better because that's I just don't see how they're so separate. I, I do see that there there has to be some similarities between the two. But anyway, uh, moral injury essentially is when we perpetuate, bear witness to, or fail to prevent an act that transgresses our deeply held moral beliefs. So moral injury is really more systemic. In my understanding, it's more when an individual is confronted or bears witness to or has to make a decision that goes against their moral code that goes against their oath for practicing, which is patient first, right? Patient safety first, patient's needs first, above all else, above all else, and to do no harm, right? So a good example of this and an unfortunate example of this um, is right now during the pandemic where, where beds are limited, okay? And phys- physicians have had to triage patients based on the severity of their illness or based on their age or based on their promise, their lifestyle, whatever it might be. And they're being asked to decide who lives and who dies. That's horrifying. Okay. Like who are we to decide that we are here to help everybody. 
And so moral injury, that's an extreme example, but that is a real example. And that's what's happening among healthcare providers all over the world. Okay, that alone, that's just one situation. Other situations, for example, are doing more with less, okay, increased staff, increased patient to staff ratios, and less and less resources, but you as a clinician having that sense of integrity to provide optimal care and knowing that you can't provide the care that you know that you're capable of providing that you want to provide that you've taken an oath to provide, um, or knowing that there's a higher patient safety risk, when there's less staff support or less staff available, for instance. So again, it's bearing witness to but also making these decisions to practice that go against your moral code, your moral agreements, your sense of integrity. Okay, so you can imagine the trauma that ensues when that keeps happening over and over and over and over again. Okay, and especially with the pandemic, another good example that I can think of for us too as clinicians, you know, I'm thinking of myself personally, is when families haven't been able to come into the hospital. And so now you become caregiver in a way um, and clinician. And, you know, you're trying to coordinate communication and connection between, between the family, between your patient. That's a hard thing to witness. It's a hard thing to witness patients not seeing their family members. Okay. And, and that goes, you know, I'm, I'm someone who's so, such a big advocate of caregivers being involved in patient care in decision making. And for me to not see caregivers around, to not see family around, it was hard for me, and it still is with the limited abilities now for, for designated care partners, even then, even though that's a little better, it's still hard to operate in that context when you know that if the caregiver was there, the patient would perhaps have better care um, and optimal care provided. Okay, so that's that's another example. And again, when you think about all of these, and I'm sure after this podcast, you can reflect on many different instances where you've endured moral trauma and have been in dilemmas such as this, where you've had to make a decision that, you know, you really had no control over in the, at the end of the day. So like I said, it's more rooted in um, organizational and systemic uh, practices, whereas burnout is more rooted with respect to an individual's ability to cope with stress over time. So they share 10 ways that organizations can take better care of their healthcare providers, in my opinion, improve retention, and also eliminate, I don't know if eliminate is the right word, because, you know, I think that's a great goal to have. Um, I'd be happy if we could, you know, reduce it back to f- to 50% less than what it was, you know, we're, we're now at physician burnout being closer to 60%. If we could go back to closer to 25%, that would be even better, right? And it, it blows my mind sometimes because, you know, I know when I started this podcast back in 2019, I thought it was bad then. And, you know, you don't think things can get worse sometimes, and they have. That's the reality. So what are we going to do about it? Okay, so number one, they recommend putting burnout and moral injury reduction on organizational dashboards. In other words, okay, it, it should be made an organizational goal. Okay, and I would say to be transparent with your staff about this um, and with your team about this as well, to declare it as such and to capture the necessary data around it. Number two is prioritizing mental health support for healthcare workers. So peer support, 
One of the things Dr. Sherman talked about was psychological support on site and on demand. I'd like to add coaching support to that, uh, wellness consults, and also real-time burnout monitoring through surveys. Um, so in other words, not just capturing it here and there, but constantly monitoring it to kind of, you know, put the bigger picture together. Number three, monitoring workload and time pressure for clinicians. I love this phrase, making the invisible work count. Ah, I love that because how many times, and I know for myself personally, I, I've said this many times to, to my coworkers and colleagues that like, you know, what we put in our stats, you, you know, it sometimes feels like a fraction of what we actually are doing throughout the whole day. And it's really these invisible things that we do that we don't capture statistically that make the day flow right, that bring it all together. And, and that was kind of the basis of my book of communication is care is it's those things that help prevent conflict, right, that you're doing day in and day out that that they don't necessarily recognize, you know, when capturing your workload. So things like mentorship, okay, or helping other staff members, um, stuff like that. Number four, redesigning workflow, okay, reducing inefficiencies, okay, I, again, number four is one that really touches my heart too, because I really think that one way or another, healthcare is going in this direction where it's going to be about sharing the care, not only in one environment or workplace, but I'm thinking healthcare as a whole, especially with long COVID right now, where interprofessionals are going to have to work together. Gone are the days where we are operating in silos, okay? <laughs> it's it's just not that simple anymore. So sharing the care is so um, necessary. And I also think that it's going to uh, minimize energy demands and reduce burnout as well. So I, I really like that recommendation also, even at a more global systemic scale. Number five, developing standardized approaches to reducing moral injury. So they recommend annual engagement surveys that can measure exposure to injurious events, such as overly aggressive care, excessive workloads, um, linking these to burnout metrics and seeing that, um, and providing ethical and organizational support to reduce moral injury exposure. So providing the support there to um, so by understanding it, by seeing where these exposures are happening um, and when, to then provide the necessary support to address it. Number six is re-engineering chaotic environments. This to me is, is a big one as well, because I know for me, and I don't know if it's because I'm getting older <laughs> or what, but I'm finding that when I'm in the space, the physical space where it's chaotic, meaning there's a lot of bodies, there's a lot of voices, there's a lot of sound, there's a lot of stuff everywhere. Um, I find that it affects my ability to focus, it affects my ability to practice, it affects my ability to connect and develop rapport with patients um, to the best of my ability. Okay, so simple thing like that, like healthcare providers on the front lines can even just start doing that where they're at right now is looking at your physical space. Okay. Number seven, enhancing supportive culture. Okay, so focusing on values, quality, equity and fairness and cohesion, maybe having, um, you know, a goal of burnout and moral injury as being a 0% goal, right? So bringing everybody together, basically, collaboratively, to achieve this goal for all of us, not just the front line, you know, there's burnout at all levels, and there's moral injury at all levels, because 
Some of this is rooted in systemic causes. Provide flexibility, number eight, and autonomy. So for example, they say here at the beginning and at the end of the day, especially clinicians who are parents, it allow them time to and flexibility to drop off their children, but also pick them up. And I think that this demonstrates that the organization cares about not only their, their workers, but also their workers' families, who they're also indirectly supporting. Number nine, recognizing the, the importance in holding value and prioritizing the clinician-patient relationship. This is something that um, obviously speaks to my heart. This is rooted in everything I do. Um, and it's basically allowing sufficient time and resources for interactions to happen between clinicians and between patients that help create a sense of trust and mutual agreement basically, a mutual collaboration and openness and non-judgment. And that takes time to develop. You know, it would be great if one of these days we didn't have to time everything, right? If we, we could just focus on what, what our patients needed of us and not have to worry about the time around that. I know that's a whole other issue. Um, and that could be a topic of its own. But these are some of the things that I've been thinking about lately when it comes to my own practice. You know, does time really define the quality of care that you're providing? Some patients will say yes. Some patients want their hour. Some patients want their 45 minutes. But for me, you know, as a clinician as well, I, I think, well, if I can help my patient in less time than that, some might not need all that time and some might. But then I think, well, am I doing them a disservice if they're not all getting the same time, right? Then it goes back to that moral dilemma. So that's just an example of, of that. And that's something that me as, at an individual level that I have to process and, and recognize. And finally, number 10, optimizing physician trust in the organization. I would actually say and reword that to optimizing all healthcare providers' trust in the organization. And that is done by recognizing and by really stating and practicing that, that everyone's learning and learning together to create a better environment. Okay, so that's the article, essentially. It wasn't very long. It's like I said, it's only two pages, please check it out. I'm going to attach it to the show notes. If you have any feedback or information, I would love to hear back from you. Um, I'm most present on Instagram. My handle's at Best Obsessed with Jen. You can reach me there. You can also um, sign up to my newsletter community. Uh, I usually send out weekly newsletters on Tuesday mornings before the podcast comes out, outlining the, the topic of the podcast and also updates, stories, tips, inspiration, things like that. So if you could check that out, that would be great as well. So until we chat next time, remember to stay well, to take care of yourselves and each other, and to stay happy. So if you guys like this podcast, please subscribe and leave an honest review. Your feedback means everything to me. Your reviews are what moves this podcast forward, and I always appreciate receiving them. If you want to get a hold of me directly, reach out to me on social media. My handles are in the show notes. And you can always subscribe to my weekly newsletters at jennifergeorge.co so that we can stay connected. So until next time, thank you guys so much again for your ongoing support.